What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 25 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we are all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the places that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a great day. We get to sit down with a great friend of mine named Chris Godey. I've known Chris for over 25 years, and Chris is an amazing, not only an amazing friend, he's a great leader, he's a great husband, he's a great man, and he works inside of one of the greatest leadership engines in America, and that's the John Maxwell Company. Chris is vice president there at John Maxwell for the John Maxwell Company and works with businesses all over the country to maximize the production they get out of each individual person that's been put within that company. And Chris is an amazing guy. You are going to enjoy this conversation so much. Chris spends a lot of his time talking about John's five levels of leadership and is a guru in that area. So today, if you want to take out a pen, pencil, something to write with, I want you to pull up a chair and listen in to my time with Chris Godey. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, I'm excited for our time together today. I, I'm looking forward to our conversation, but more importantly, I want you to know that I am an uh, avid follower of Lynch with a Leader. I've listened to each one of the lessons and have taken notes, and so I just appreciate the opportunity to get on here and share some, share some of my thoughts. That's awesome, dude. Well, that means a lot. So that means we have three listeners because I listen twice and you. So that's good, man. We're all the way up to three. That's it. Yeah. So whatever it takes. Listen, and, and what people may not know is we've, we've got a bond that goes back, even though we didn't meet there, we've got a bond that goes back to Liberty University days. So you went and played college football at Liberty. What was that experience like for you in those early 90s during that period of football at Liberty University, Chris? Yeah, we were uh, we're both alums, but you're a little bit older than me, and yeah. so we'll let everybody know that Sad we fact. weren't there at the Sad same fact. time. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's funny because um, it's uh, it's almost a story. My, my sports story is almost one that didn't happen. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and then I moved to Orlando, Florida, to start high school. And when I moved to Orlando, Florida, I said, "Hey, I'm done with football." And I played you know, middle school football, just didn't like it. And uh, when I moved to Orlando, Florida, as a freshman in a new high school, I was kind of in the parking lot, I think, waiting on my mom to pick me up. And this football coach comes by and is like, uh, who are you and what are you doing here? And so I kind of told my story. And he said, well, you know, football practice is, is going on right now. Why aren't you down there? And a long story short, he continued to sell me on the opportunity to join the football team. And so I re-engaged the sport of football and so grateful that that he stepped out and and had a little bit of belief in me maybe just because of the size maybe because of the eye candy didn't know if I had any type of talent uh, but because of him I had the opportunity then to to play college football and ironically enough I uh, grew up you know playing high school in Orlando Florida I really had a desire to play for Bobby Bowden uh, at FSU. And I had made several visits up there, obviously an incredible coach and incredible, uh, man of faith. And, um, and we were negotiating all the way down to almost signing day. And, uh, they did not offer me a, a full scholarship. They offered me a preferred walk on, but where I was at in my family, um, that was not an option for me. I needed to, to go to school and I needed to get it paid for. And at the time, I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but at the time, Sam Ritigliano was the head coach of Liberty University. You know, Jerry Falwell had had big hopes and big dreams and had a desire back then and kept telling us every day, hey, we're gonna we're gonna play and beat Notre Dame. That's and, right. Um, and so he he brought in a, a big, big coach, uh, Sam Ritigliano. And uh, Sam did an incredible job fundraising for the program and recruiting. And being from Cleveland, Ohio, when I was a kid, that's kind of how this story ties together. When I was a kid, I was a huge Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, matter of fact, I am some, to some extent a Cleveland Browns fan today. I don't tell a whole lot of people about that. 
not a whole lot to be proud of, but uh, my family is. And so he was, back then, it was Cardiac Kids and Brian Sype and Dave Logan and all that stuff. And so I looked up to him as the head coach. And when he made a recruiting visit to my house, I was coming home from high school that day. And we kind of met in the driveway together. And uh, as we entered my house, my entire family was in the house all wearing Browns gear. So I knew right then and there, I didn't have a choice. I was going to Liberty <laughs> University. So I, I I didn't choose Liberty because of, of the faith element or anything like that, although it was the best place for me. Um, I chose it because of uh, San Rotigliano. I also had a great offensive line coach who's a Hall of Famer now. His name is Joe DeLamalier. And um, so it was a great experience for me. I often tell people, it was really where my faith journey started. And, um, and, and if I probably went to FSU or another school, I may not have graduated or even be where I'm at today. And so God has a purpose and a plan. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I left Liberty and uh, played in the Canadian football league uh, for a uh, cup of coffee, as we call it. I wasn't there very long, but I got to experience that. And, and the reason I got that experience was just, a guy like Sam Rutigliano and his network and influence and, uh, and connections was able to give me a shot there and enjoyed my time at Liberty. It was, again, the foundation for my faith was built there. Um, and, and I'll be forever grateful. Also met my beautiful bride there and that wouldn't have happened. So, so God has a plan. Uh, it wasn't mine originally coming out of high school as a teenage boy, but am grateful for my time at Liberty. I love that. And, you know, and I, what I love, Chris, is is that you not only bought into the whole, man, I'm going to be all in. When you played football, you were, that is that was your life, of course, like any other athlete. But now here you are on the other side of it. You're a business leader. What are some principles that you learned from athletics that you go, man, these I use and apply every day in what I do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, as a, as a football player, I, I think about preparation. Mm. And um, and actually, it, it, it gets in the way a little bit. It's tied to my personality now that I'm in the leadership space and the behavioral space. I understand uh, some of the pitfalls of my personality, how God kind of wired me as a, my, my personality trait as, as an analyzer, right? So I, I love to prepare. And sometimes that's a, to a fault, right? Mm. It, uh, it, it, gets, it gets me where I kind of maybe don't move the ball forward as fast as possible. But looking back on it, playing the game of football, really any sport for that matter, uh, your, your willingness to prepare, what I call, and I, I teach a lot now to, to athletes or business leaders, is, is what you're willing to do before the moment so that you're ready in the moment is the key to success. And, you know, Peyton Manning, Obviously, one of my favorite quotes for him is when he talks about, you know, pressure is, is something that you feel when you don't know what you're doing. Mm. And, and that just ties back to the ability to prepare. And so for me as a football player, for example, I, I played offensive line. You know, during the week, you're, you have a scout team, right? You see what you're, you're going to see on Saturday. You see the blitzes that you're going to see on Saturday. And so during game time, everything slows down a little bit because you have prepared for the moment uh, before the moment. And, um, I also think about, uh, I read a great, a great quote or, or a clip from Brian McCann, um, just after he left Atlanta and started playing for the Yankees, he, uh, he said, what I'm going to tell my grandkids, uh, about Derek Jeter, obviously the, the incredible shortstop for the New York Yankees is, uh, the consistency of the routine that he had to work on fundamentals before every single game. That I can't remember it, you know, word for word, but I just remember him saying something like every single day when when he went out there, Jeter was out there before anybody else. He was doing routine ground balls. He was taking BP. No cameras were around, right? ESPN wasn't there. And um, he said it was just amazing to see how he prepared before a game, every single game of the year, so that when moments arose, when the cameras were on, lights were on, um, he was able to perform in the moment. And so I always think back to that illustration of Brian. I read uh, Brian McCann said about Derek Jeter, about preparing before the moment. So that'd be the first thing. Um, the second thing I would tell you is that I love, I love word pictures. You know, I listened to your, your, your podcast with Tim Elmore a yeah. couple months ago. Great, great uh, interview. Matter of fact, I had dinner with him a couple of nights ago. 
absolutely love how he teaches leadership. And one of the word pictures that comes to mind for me that I learned through sports as a leadership principle is, is the is the football huddle, right? The the huddle itself, when you when you look at that, it's a place where as an athlete and now as a leader, even on my team uh, at the John Maxwell Company, it's a place where you have to value, you have to need, and you have to respect the talent of all of those around you. Because without the other 10 in that huddle, um, you, you're not a successful offense, specifically for me. Um, and, then, and then as a participant of that huddle uh, or a team that you may be serving on now, you've got to be committed, you've got to be held accountable uh, to each uh, other, you know, to the other 10 for the specific talent that God has given you. And if you don't deliver wholeheartedly on that as part of that huddle, you know, you become the weak link. And so it's a great question. When I think about the principles that I carry over, I think it's the preparation one. Um, and then obviously just the the collaboration, the community of, of a team. I'm a big team guy. I love to teach on on teamwork. And so the football huddle is an image that um, that I keep in my mind often. And that comes obviously from my early days of playing, you know, pound ball back yep. when I was a little kid, little kid. So, you know, and I think, I think about that and you hear preparation, you're like, and everybody would go, yeah, of course, preparation. We all know that. Why do you think some people though, Chris, think that they can just arrive by time, tenure, you know, age, and preparation doesn't have to be part of the process for them. Why do you think some people skirt preparation sometimes? I really think it comes from, um, it, it may be a little bit of their personality trait. A lot may have to do with the success they've had earlier on in life and not preparing. And, um, and so, you know, uh, John wrote a book back in the day called Town is Never Enough. And I have been on, I've been on teams, athletic teams. I've coached athletic teams. And then I have seen business teams to where you have, you have this individual that has an incredible amount of talent and you go, man, that guy is a division one athlete, or that is going to be the number one sales guy for us for the next four years. And, and because they've gotten there on the true gifts and talents that God has given them, and in order to go to the next level, to play Division One football, to become that next great sales leader, it's going to take it's going to take that now what that next step of um, of becoming better and preparing. And I think they just rest on their laurels. Mm. At the end of the day, they get there and um, they're unable to do that because they haven't prepared pop- properly because they've just rested on the fact that they've been given incredible gifts and skill sets and haven't developed them, haven't chosen the opportunity to to grow in an area of their strengths, um, which you know, I talk a lot about that I'd much rather see somebody take something that they're gifted and they're strong at and pour wholeheartedly their growth movement into that because the results from that will be multiplied versus going into um, and not doing the work or maybe even trying to improve areas that you're weak in. That's really good. Really good. And, and the thing about it is, you know, here you and I are, we're not, we're not 20 somethings walking around Liberty anymore. And that preparation <laughs> never goes away. Does it? I mean, there's never a never point in your career where you get to slow down and go, well, you know, I know all there is to know. And in fact, you know, now I know you work, we're going to get into this in a few minutes. You work at the John Maxwell company. I think one of the things that, that, you know, knowing Maxwell from a distance, you know, him up close, but, he is a voracious learner. How, how does, how does learning go into keeping on being prepared, even for not only what you're facing today, but being ready for things that aren't even here yet. How does learning play into that? Yeah. I I worked for a guy, as you mentioned, that is a lifelong learner and um, he challenges obviously not of not, not only, people out in the community in the world, but um, our team specifically, that um, if you're not, if you're not growing on a daily basis, you know, why are you living? Right? Like, um, there's always something for us to learn. And John, John, he, he says all the time, he's like, listen, if you, if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Wow. And he said, if you, he said, I want to challenge you talking to our leadership team. 
whether it's associations, whether it's businesses, whether it's your circle of influence. Um, you know, you often hear, Mike, the, the, the kind of the statement of the average of the five people closest to you is, is where you end up, whether that is from a confidence standpoint, whether that's a financial standpoint, whether it's a faith standpoint, whatever it is. He challenges us in each one of those areas of our lives to figure out how do you get yourself into a room to where you are the least knowledgeable person in that room and then absorb, learn, ask questions in order for you to grow, grow through a process to where maybe you do someday become the most competent person in that room. Well, then it's time for you to find a new room. And, um, and so anyways, he challenges us from a growth standpoint. And I think, I think back to your question, I think as I think growth is preparation, right? Go back to my illustration of uh, as a um, offensive lineman in college, uh, I may have not seen a particular blitz as an offensive lineman before a week of practice. Well, that week of practice is a growth mode for me, which is now preparing me to be a little more successful on a Saturday if I remember and can athletically pull it off. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so. So I think growth is a process that you must go through in order to be prepared for the moment as a leader. That's fan. That's fantastic. And, and what a challenge for all of us. Cause I think it's so easy, you know, you've been in a career, you've been somewhere for a while to let your foot off the gas. And in so many times you watch leaders, coaches, business leaders, uh, man, people, they just lose their edge. They lose yep. that thing that made them so good. They lose it. So you, Chris, you finished playing football in the Canadian League, and then you got into you know the business sector. You walked into this world. Was that a weird transition for you, moving from the world of sports that had been your life for all those years now into private business? How, how was that transition for you? Yeah, it's funny you asked that question. Tim, Tim Elmore and I were just talking about this the other day, and I, I used this, um, a story with him because he believes it's a, a major problem for athletes. He works so much with athletes and, leaderships and, and leadership, and he sees it over and over again, and now he's in professional athletes, and so we were talking about it. And I said, yeah, I said, I can, I'll never forget. You know, I, I, I'm in the locker room for the very last time, and I'm packing up my locker, this and that. And I've spent years of people telling me what to eat and where to go and what time to be there. And did you do your homework? And, you know, all these things, right? As a matter of fact, a little, little side story. We're going through a little bit of a recruiting process with my son right now. And we go on these visits and the football programs are telling us everything they're going to do for him. And Sarah, my wife, um, who's an incredible leader herself, she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's like, I am, I'm raising this teenage boy to become a man someday like i'm teaching him how to to do those laundry how to clean his room how to how to cook he goes she goes he come in here like you guys are are you know handing them the baby bottle like you're gonna undo everything i did uh in his teenage years and so that when he leaves college he's not gonna know what he's doing because he's had somebody hold his hand and so as an athlete that's your life right you're you're that's your lifestyle and so i told tim i said i'll never forget you know you're high-fiving your buddies, you're in the locker room, you're crying and hugging, you put the uh, bag on your shoulder, you walk out, and there's this big metal door. And you walk out, and you hear this door just slam, and you just stand in the parking lot, and you're all by yourself. And you go, man, now what? Like, yep. what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? And, and so I, I, would, I would be lying to you if I, if I told you uh, it was easy, because it's not. Um, you know, you, you get into these quiet moments, you get into these moments where you don't have a schedule, and so... Um, you got to begin falling back on the principles that we talked about earlier and things you lead as, as learn as an athlete. And you got to be again to transition those into the business world. And, um, and it's not easy to do. It's doable. Everybody does it. Sometimes it takes longer than others. Um, and I, be, I, I have a mindset. I, I, use, I still use the sports mindset. I, I look at opportunities in business as, as games, as teammates, as, you know, casting vision, as, building belief in those that that are on my team and I have the privilege of working with. And so I've just tried to the transition for me has been what are the principles I learn? And then how do I how do they correlate? How do they come over and how are they relevant in the business world? And then um and then apply them. And so for me it's a lot about I love reading athletic stories and hearing documentaries on athletes and trying to pull leadership principles out of them. 
and, and use that as part of what I do on a day-to-day basis because for so many years, for me, it was, it was 22, 23. Well, I probably actually played maybe 15 or 16 years of, of athletics. And then to your point, it's over and you got to make that transition. And, um, and it's hard to do. It is hard to do. So you, you now you're in the private world, you get married, you become a dad and you talked about your faith journey, really getting grounded at Liberty as you began to build your life, Chris, uh, as a husband, a father, a leader in business, uh, even to what you're doing today, where, where has faith been in that? Is it, is it something you just do on Sundays or you say, no, it's really the thing that, that, that really forms who I am. What's what roles faith played in that journey for you? Yeah. Faith plays a a big role for, um, for myself and for Sarah and our family. Um, you know, we, we say, you know, having faith is believing in things that are not seen. And, um, and at times that is not at times, all the time. That's so true. in in the, the roles that we play, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a business leader, we don't always know uh, the why of the role of the responsibility that you've been put in to. Now, I think as individuals, we should know our why. That's yep. not what I'm saying, right? But, I'm, but we don't always know the, the why of, of the opportunities put in front of us. But if we are men and, and women of faith, I think that's something you have to rest in. And what, because of that faith and that trust in God, um, you know, it's my job back to this word preparation, kind of a common theme of our conversation today. It's, it's now my responsibility as, as a father, as a husband, as a business leader to prepare whatever situations in front of me and to perform the best that I could and can in those roles and opportunities. Um, you know, our, our life and our faith walk is a journey and it's not a destination. And so you need to continue, whether you understand or not, you need to continue to prepare and move forward. And so as I have gone from, you know, my degree, it's funny, my degree is in sports management. I always wanted to be an athletic director of a major college university. And um, I'm the farthest from that. Never even <laughs> stepped foot into. And, and and so I had some opportunities along the way to to work for the Atlanta Braves and a couple of others. And it just it just wasn't working out, right? I was given, I was preparing, I was given the effort and it wasn't working out. But you know what's crazy? It's through my relationship with the Atlanta Braves, I met a guy by the name of John Maxwell that I now have spent almost 18 years with off and on um, being able to add value and to serve people around the world and develop them as leaders. And so again, I didn't know why, you know, I was at the Atlanta Braves and I was frustrated, but I, but what I did do is I used every opportunity to prepare and to do and, and to believe that there was a reason why I was there yet that it was unseen at the time. So from that, that's kind of a, from a, a faith walk from my business side, from a personal side for us, as a dad and, and as a, as a husband, you know, Sarah and I are really intentional, um, with our kids. And I've learned that from John and John's a very intentional uh, person and a leader. And so for us, what we've done is, is we've been very intentional with our kids to give them the opportunity to walk out and show those in the community, their faith, not necessarily verbally, but by the actions of, of, of what they do. And so whether it's opening up our home um, you know, every other Sunday night for a, a high school Bible study, whether it's if there's a football game on or my daughter's a big volleyball player, a volleyball game, we open the doors and Sarah has to get the hospitality. She cooks and feeds all these kids. And, and it's a place where they can come and be under our roof, under our influence, and just see how we interact with each other, see how I interact with Sarah and how I interact with the kids. And, and so our goal is to, to, to live by example and, and to show them, hey, look, here's our life, our faith life. And obviously this is something that God has a purpose and a will for you. And we get them to a point where hopefully it's something they're interested in and they notice a difference in us and they want to ask a question or we can invite them to church or whatever, whatever it might be. And so it is part of, yeah, it's part of our daily life. And, um, and it's something that we do together, Sarah and I, and um, I couldn't do it without her. Um, But it's a, it's a big part of who we are. So, Here's a here's a leader. Here's a here's a man, a woman. They're in leadership in business and in the education world, in the civic world, coaching world, whatever world they're walking in. Why do you think 
God is so concerned with how they lead, not not really the what they do, because I think uh, there's a bazillion different hats people wear out there, but that they've been put in this role of leadership. They've been put in charge of whether it's a division, uh, whether it's in charge of a family, good night, just their, their kids that are under them. Why do you think God is concerned, Chris, with how we lead when we've been given that responsibility? I think there's two things that come to mind when you ask that question. I think it ultimately he's concerned in how we lead because he knows that our true fulfillment in those roles will come if we're leading the proper way. Um, and I, and I think from a servant leadership standpoint, um, that fulfillment is so much greater than, than just a, just a particular leadership standpoint. Right. And, um, and until you experience that as a, as a mindset, as, as a feeling, as a servant leader, as a representation, um, until you've experienced that, it's hard to explain it. But I think there's a different level of fulfillment there um, when we are leading and or connecting the way that God um, has has authorized us to do and given us a blueprint of how to do it, right? So not only authorize us to do it, and then the fulfillment comes from that. The other thing it, it, for me is always, in, I tell our kids, it's back to these sports analogies. I was like, look, remember, the name on the back of your jersey is not Goaty, okay? We represent and we play for this game of life for a different leader. And so we are his hands and his feet, and we are a testimony by our actions of our, of our relationship with him. And we don't always do it right. That's without a doubt. We struggle more than we probably succeed. But at the end of the day, if we're leading and if we're connecting in a way that gets someone to have an aha moment or raise their question or say, I want that, then I think the fulfillment that comes not only to us, but then obviously, you know, to God for that type of leadership is crucial. You know, that's a great perspective on that, Chris, because it's it's so easy to look at it and go, golly, you know. I'll give God something out of it. We never really think when we leave that way that God has something he wants us to get out of it. That's really good. I've never thought about it that way before. That's really good. That's a very fine Liberty education being put to work right there, buddy. <laughs> You'll make Jerry you. proud. You'll make Jerry really just proud. Yeah. Just don't tell anybody. I didn't attend many classes, but I did get my degree from Liberty. No, that's right. Kidding. You were I'm like the kidding. football players yeah. when I was there, but that's, that's okay. Right. That's a whole that's nother, right. that's a whole nother story there. So now that's you're, right. now you're for the last 18 years in the middle of, I mean, really in, in our generation, if you said name somebody that teaches leadership, I would dare say John Maxwell would probably be out of a hundred people over half would go, yeah, John Maxwell, that's the guy, that's the leadership guy. What's it been like for you being in that culture over these last 18 years? And what's it done for you as a leader? How, how has it grown you? Well, um, you'd be surprised that um, you talk about, I, you made a statement, you said, you know, um, if you were to name 100 people, John's probably in the top portion of that. And in our faith, community, um, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. Over the last six years, I've played a little bit of a role of taking John's principles to, to corporate America. And we build a training development, you know, co coaching, consulting world. And it's not uncommon for me to be in rooms, boardrooms across the world. And uh, let's say I have 30 executives in the room and uh, I'll open up by saying, Hey, how many, you know, how many of you know, John Maxwell, or any of the work that he's done? And uh, if there's 30 in a room at times, and I'm not kidding, at times, uh, there's one hand that goes up. Wow. That they're the only ones that know John. And that is the person that invited me there, right? So they have some tie to it. And so I, I've been, my eyes have been open to say, hey, listen, there's a, there's a field. There's a, a business men and women out there that don't know John. And, and that's one of my, that's one of my missions and my goals every day is I figure out how do we, how do we expand kind of John's legacy in the corporate mayor so that we can make a difference in individuals' lives. But working in a, in a leadership culture, um, you know, the, the culture is a kind of an ambiguous word, right? And, and you can define it different ways. Um, for me, it really comes down to around behavior, uh, around individual and organizational behavior, culture. 
uh, I often say, um, if you want to change or enhance a culture, there's three things that have to happen. Um, you've got to create a common language, no matter what it is, whether it's you're trying to change a leadership culture or whether it's a financial movement or a mission or a campaign, whatever it is, you've got to create a common language. Once your team begins speaking that common language, your beliefs begin to shape around that language, and then you'll see the behaviors of the interactions, which is the third point change, and then hopefully the results come from there of which you you know started out trying to achieve. So when you take those three things around culture, and then you say, okay, well, what has that been like working in an organization like John Maxwell? Um, man, the common language around our our world and in John's culture is to add value to people every mm. single day. Mm. And um, what a lot of people don't know is John's notorious for giving away. You know, yes, he's written and sold a lot of books and he has sold training materials, but on a daily basis, John gives away so much intellectual property and content and his time. Um, and every day, it's funny, he, he, he goes through different growth seasons just like any other leader. And I was just with him the other day, and, and, and he was talking about how every morning he gets up and goes through a routine. He's a very disciplined guy. He actually calls it boring. Uh, people say, man, how have you written over 100 books? He goes, it's, it's pretty simple. He goes, um, every day I do five things, and one of those is right. <laughs> and wow. so they go, they go, every day? He's like, yeah, it's called my rule of five. And uh, they go, like, even on your birthday, even on Christmas, he's like, every day I write something. And so he has a rule of five. One of them is writing. And, and so he's very, he says, I'm a boring guy, but I'm just a structured guy. And in the morning, every morning, he says, okay, here's my schedule for the day. Who and how am I going to add value to certain individuals today? And then at night, he'll journal and recap, okay, who did I? Uh, add value today and what did that look like? And it's just a constant reminder for him to make sure that he's adding value to people every day. So we have a culture that he impresses upon us in that common language around adding value. And then the other part of our culture is um, what I would call just a, a growth, innovation, idea generation uh, kind of culture. To your point, as leaders, and if if I'm working for what I believe to be the number one leadership expert in the world, if, if we are challenging people in the business community and the faith community and the coaching, whatever it is, if we're challenging them to continually grow and to live out leadership and to continue to get better, then we better be modeling that ourselves. And so we have a culture inside our organization to where we have a intentional leadership plan that as an organization we go through and then we break it down even further and we have a growth and intentional growth plan for us as individuals. And so, so our culture is one of adding value to people and then being in a growth mindset. And, um, and it's just been crazy. I, I probably, I, I tell people my first couple of years with John, I probably grew more business wise, leadership wise and spiritually than I have in any time in my life, because it was like drinking from a fire hose when I first started working for his organization. Cause I was, I was not used to that pace of, of growth. If, you know, and I think, Chris, there's a lot of people listening truly from every walk of life. If they're going, man, I want to know more because you're basically your end of client services, your vice president of client services there. Tell everybody about how they can learn more about not only you, but what the products are you offer. How, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you, Chris? Yeah, I appreciate that. We, um, uh, if you search, you know, John Maxwell is going to be a ton of stuff that comes up in Google. But if you go to johnmaxwellcompany.com, um, it'll take you to our website and you can learn more about our team and what we do. Everything that I do on, on my side of the business for John is around John's methodology and book called The Five Levels of Leadership. And uh, if you could do anything, um, I would suggest go grab one of those books, read it. It's a very simple methodology. John says all the time, he's just a simple teacher, right? He wants to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And, um, and so it's a methodology that we develop processes for individuals and organizations to, again, build a common language so that their beliefs begin to shape around this methodology. And then you'll see behaviors and interactions um, that will align with that and allow you to, to develop a plan to measure. And at the end of the day, you know, if we, if we, 
lead people, we need people, right? And we better understand that all of us have influence. It's not title driven. I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your title is. Each one of us have influence in our homes, in our communities, and in our organizations. And, and you need to understand how to communicate and how to lead or influence people at all levels. And it's a, it's a simple methodology that allows you to do that. So we take that and implement it um, into organizations across the world. That's incredible. And the great part is we'll link to that in the show notes. So you guys, if you're listening in, you go to MikeLynch.com, look at the show notes, and you'll be able to see uh, all the information Chris talked about and how to link into these guys. And, you know, and it's one of those things that we know what we know, but we're always better when we can access what others know. And these are tried, proven principles from the church world when he was at Skyline to now good night teams and companies across the country. And that is, that is a great book, by the way, Chris, that is a great book and one of his classics. You've met a lot of great leaders. I mean, in, in the world that you've walked in through athletics from San Bertigliano to working with John and meeting and rubbing shoulders with the people that you've rubbed shoulders with, are there some common things those folks have in common that you go, man, they may do very different things. Sam was a football coach. Coach Tigliano was a football coach. John was a pastor and a business leader to XYZ person that you've walked and rubbed shoulders with. Are there any common traits you've seen in their lives that you say, man, these have really stood out to me? Yeah. Yeah, I think there is. And um, when you asked me that question, I actually, a couple of, actually stories come to mind. I'll give you the, what I think of when you asked me that question. The first thing I thought of was the word belief. Okay. I, I think anytime I've seen a, um, a great leader, there's an incredible amount of, of belief in the skills and talents that God has given them, but then the belief more importantly in their people. Um, I also, you know, um, am huge and, and see often and a believer around authenticity. I think some of the greatest leaders are the most authentic leaders. They're not trying to be uh, a, a leader like Mike Lynch or a leader like Chris Gody or a leader like John Maxwell. They're trying to be the best leader of how God created them to be. It's funny. I think Harvard Business Review did a study, and it came back, and they, they, they did the study of, um, I think it was like, I don't know, it might have been 500 different CEOs across the world. And they, they came back with these, um, these 16 attributes of, that were in common with all these major CEOs. And of those 16, the number one attribute that was seen over and over again was authenticity. And so that's huge for me. And then, and then, you know, consistency, I'm big about as a leader, um, being extremely consistent. And so those are some of the attributes that I've seen in, in, um, a couple of leaders that I've had the privilege to look up to and to respect with John. I want to go back to the belief one real quick. I'll give you a couple, uh, just quick stories. This, you know, I mentioned earlier, my son is being recruited. And um, th- this is a great story of a leader around the belief in a kid or a team member mm. um, that I've seen fleshed out. So, so we're coming into one of his uh, camp seasons during the summer, and, and he doesn't have any offers yet, okay, from any, uh, um, any colleges. And we're getting ready to do this crazy week, okay, of, of camping to where we're going to go from we're going to go from Georgia to, you know, Tennessee to Clemson to Auburn and you name it to what Florida. And it's just this travel week where he's camping every day and he's performing and meeting the coaches and all that kind of stuff. Well, our very first uh, camp, Mike, on, it was on a Monday and it was, it was at Georgia. And so Rye goes out, does his thing, goes through all their drills and camps with them. And when we come back home that night because we're able to kind of commute back home. We come back home that night. And um, we get a phone call and we um, say, you know, Hey, look there, you know, coach Kirby smart of university of Georgia um, wants to, to talk to you, you know, yada, yada, yada. So we, we end up setting up a time. I call him directly and, uh, and Kirby gets on the phone and he says, man, thanks for bringing Ryland over today, my son. And he says, can I talk to him real quick? I'm like, absolutely. So he gets on the phone with my son and he says, Rylan, thanks for coming over today. Man, I was really impressed with what I saw today. Love the work ethic, love the focus, all that kind of stuff. He said, um, I want to offer you a full ride to the University of Georgia to come play football for me. 
And so my son was extremely excited. You know, it's, uh, it's his team. We've grown up here in Atlanta and he's like a, a little kid. And I was like a little kid. I think dad was probably even more excited. I'm in the background jumping around. Um, whether or not it's, I don't have to pay for a college education, Lord willing, or if it's the fact he's going to play for Georgia uh, down the road. But here's what he said, Mike. Here's where the belief principle comes in. He says, Ryland, I believe in what I saw today, so much so that I offered you a full ride. He says, I know what the rest of your week is going to look like. Uh, it's funny how all these recruiting, they know what's going on in these athletes' lives, maybe even more than we did. Because I know the other four schools you're visiting. Here's what I want to do. I do not want you to say one thing to anybody about my offer to you. I don't want you to put it on social media. I don't want you to talk to your friends about it. I don't want anything. He said, you know why I want you to do that? And Ryan was like, no, no, sir, I don't. Because here's the deal. He said, I want you to go and perform at all these other Division I schools. And I want to see if they believe in you as much as I believe in you and offer you a full ride to their school based off your performance and your character and, and your interaction that day on the field. And he said, because I want you to know that I saw that today and I believe in you. And if you announce that I've offered you a full ride, when each time you go to these schools, they're going to offer you as well. That's and right. he said, so he said, I want you to keep it quiet. And then I want you to call me, you know, on Friday when you're done and, and we'll talk about it. So we go all week. Okay. Great interaction, great comments, great feedback, but no other offers. So we're on our way home from Knoxville on Friday and we call and connect with Kirby. And he said, see, I told you, he said, I believe in you more than anybody else out there. Now that's a recruiting right position, but also it's teaching this kid about the power of a leader, believing in him and mm. what he can do. Right. So then come Monday, it rolls out in the, the age of social media today that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm excited to get my first offer from the university of Georgia. Would you know immediately following that the rest of that day and the next couple of days, the phone calls started coming in from those other schools saying, Hey, we'd like to offer you. We'd like to offer you. We'd like to offer you. And so Ryland will never forget the fact that Kirby had so much belief in him that day that offered him an opportunity to come play for the university of Georgia and wanted to keep it quiet to see if everybody else saw it. And he feels like not everybody else had that same belief in him. And so there's some loyalty now that is tied to a guy like that, that believed in a team member or someone you know that is on your team or can be on your team that has just set you apart as a leader. And so when you hear, when you, when you see things like that and you see it in action, both in sports, in the church, or even in the business world, people today have a lot of insecurity and a lot of people can't see the things that you can see for them. And as a leader, you've got to have the longest view in the room, or at sometimes you even have to have the longest view of their potential success or career in order to be able to cast that vision them so just a great little story that i pulled out and um and we've shared with kirby before about one of the, the key reasons you know that we're a big fan of, of kirby and the university of georgia that is, that's outstanding and that's that is pre national championship run that is pre sec championship i mean that yeah. that was before i mean that was that happened long before ago. before yeah. it was yeah. the hot ticket right it was kirby's first year there Yep. Kirby's first year there. Yes, sir. How how has it been, Chris? And let's sort of jump off that for a second. You know, here you are, you're a dad, you played, you played at a very high level, but you have a son that is, I mean, he is he is at another level. I mean, he is at a at a man, uh, one of the most sought-after tight ends in the country. I mean, he is he is he is the guy right now in that world. What's it been like? Here's this little kid. He's grown up riding to ball games in the car with you. He's grown up, you know, throwing the ball in the backyard, whether it be baseball or throwing the football. And you've watched him mm -hmm. grow and you've watched him mature. Now you're seeing him live out leadership principles that you intentionally time at times and probably unintentionally at times poured into him what's that been like as a dad take your take your leader hat off just as a dad what's it been like to watch him live that out yeah it's humbling right mm -hmm. I, I get goosebumps even just sitting here um with you asking me that question because i think i've shared with you too 
um, during one of our conversations as friends of I'm just trying to slow this whole process down yeah. for him yeah. and my daughter. My daughter, you know, is a volleyball player and 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 being recruited at a different level, but I'm just trying to, and you know, because your kids are now on the other side of where I'm at, and um, and I, you know, I got goosebumps when you asked me that question because it's just um, it's a humbling thing to see God do a great work in their life, mm. and and yes, they make mistakes, um, but at the same point in time, you know, <laughs> all the all the tears and all the work and all the sweat that you put in as parents, which. You know, there's no one ever teaches us. There's great books out there of how to be a parent or the things that you're going to deal with. And you just beat your head against the wall. And you, like you said, sometimes it's uh, consciously, sometimes it's unconsciously, you're adding value for of these kids. And then to sit back and, and, and I call it, it's almost like having courage and patience at the same time. Right? That's I, right. That's Sarah good. And I had, Sarah and I had, had courage to, to step out and paint the picture for our kids of this is what you could be. This is an opportunity. This is, and you just create all these opportunities. And I think everybody should for their kids in all different walks of life. And then as parents, you have to step back with patience and allow it all to happen over time, right? And and yes, you lose some of those battles early on. And then you see to where, okay, now maybe we're, maybe we're batting 500, you know, and now we're maybe 600, 750. And, and, and to sit back and watch specifically, Rylan, into your question, um, it's honoring, it's humble, it's humbling. We feel extremely blessed. He feels blessed. And, and at the end of the day, um, one of the things that I love is that he's using his platform mm. to make a difference in other kids' lives. And he knows um, that he's going to be able to um, use his platform for, for God and for a, a higher calling. We, we had the opportunity um, to spend some time with Jeremy Affeld, uh, who's a pitcher, a relief pitcher for the um, in Major League Baseball. San Francisco and Tim Elmore actually connected the two of us. And so Rylan was really struggling back in this couple of years ago with, Hey man, I have, a, I feel like I'm, I'm called to ministry and I'm called to my faith. And, but yet I've been given these skills and these talents as an athlete. Like, like how have you dealt with that? And how do I need to deal with that? And Jeremy said, look, here's the deal. He said, because of the gifts and talents that God has given me to be a baseball player, it has created a platform and has opened doors for me that would have never been opened before to share my faith and to win people to the Lord. And so he said, I have been called to use that for the greater good of his message and for his kingdom. And so Ryland took that. And now I see him back to your question. I see him beginning to live this out on a small scale that hopefully as he grows older and grows in his faith and, learns about life and leadership that God's going to continue to open doors for him to share and connect with his faith that he wouldn't have otherwise. And, um, and so it's awesome to see God using him and Sarah and I now beginning to step away from that and letting God and Ryland figure that whole thing out. Um, and so it's scary. It's humbling. It's, um, all those things above that, that I know that you're familiar with is, is you went through similar things with your kids. That's fantastic, Chris. Man, I, you know, and I, I want to tell you this. I told uh, my wife this the other night after coming home from an event with you and and getting to be around him a little bit. You guys have done really well. You didn't raise a a young man. You raised a young man. And he he lives out everything you guys believe, which is the the greatest gift he could ever give you as a parent. And I yeah. know his journey isn't done and your daughter's journey isn't done, but man, their, their feet are headed right down the right path. And you guys, man, just kudos to you. And, you know, so many times in leadership, I think we applaud people for what they do in the marketplace and what they do on a field. But many times our greatest leadership isn't on in the marketplace or on a field or in a boardroom or on a court. Our greatest leadership was when the door closes at night or in the car, yes. you're in the car headed somewhere. And dude, in that realm, brother, you're a winner. And uh, I just want to give you kudos. Y'all have done a great job, Chris. You really have. Well, well lots of prayer, lots of prayer yeah. and, um, and lots of involvement from my wife, Sarah, who's done an incredible job at home with them. And so, um, so I appreciate that. And uh, we're grateful for them as well. And we're grateful that God entrusted the both of them to us.
Amen. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining me today, buddy. You were awesome, and we can't wait to get connected with you even on other levels. But, buddy, thanks for joining us today and just praying God's best for you guys. Mike, thanks so much. And and in closing, real quick, I I just want to thank you for, um, I said this to you the other day, and I mean it, thank you for the impact that you have on not only leaders, um, church leaders, but our community. You know, John talks a lot about the difference between success and, and significance. And I think what you're doing at North Star and this podcast and other things in the community around the Ackworth and Kennesaw area, um, you're creating great significance for others in their lives. And so thank you for what you do and reaching out and uh, always obeying the calling that God has on your life. I hope you enjoyed that time with Chris. You know, Chris is one of those guys that I've known in so many different arenas through the years. And I guess we're around the same age. I'm a couple years ahead of him. But my goodness, man, there's just so much there. And it's been neat to watch him not just know the five levels of leadership, but to live those out, not just as a leader, but even as a father, bringing out the most in his children, bringing out the most in his wife, Sarah. Chris was an outstanding football player at Liberty University and played on in in the Canadian League, I believe, after he left Liberty. But just watching him transform, and it's the picture, man, that you can take those skills, those natural skills that you've been given, and you can polish them, you can grow them, and you can mature them so you can be the leader that God created you to be. And Chris is such a picture of that. I'm so proud to call him a friend and so proud of the man that he's become. You know, in every every episode, I always think of a word. And I would say for Chris, the word is growth. I've watched him grow into the leader that God created him to be. And so I hope you enjoyed our time with Chris. I know I sure did. Well, we get to sit down next time in this growth continuum and sit down with a legend in college football, Bill Curry. Coach Curry coached at Georgia Tech, coached the University of Alabama, has been on ESPN, but played for the legendary Bobby Dodd, Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, to name a few of the greats he played with and prayed for, played for, you are going to love that time. So once again, thanks for joining us today. If you get a chance, share this with somebody, leave a review, and I know it will mean a ton in the future for those that get to listen in. Hope you have a great day and keep being the leader that God created you to be in the place that God put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.